Welcome to the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. Your hosts are Annika Melchert and Nora Hocker. Join them as they talk to hand-picked FinTech experts about the future of banking. Hello and welcome, my dear FinTech enthusiasts, to today's episode of the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast. My name is Nora. And my name is Annika. And today we'll have a deeper look into the race of fintechs versus incumbents and the future of banking and how it might look like. And with us today, we have invited three of our most inspirational thought leaders of BCG Platinian and BCG Digital Ventures in the banking and tech area. So hello and welcome Ludger Küpper, Boris Stoff and Jürgen Eckel. Hi. Let me quickly introduce them at this point, starting with Ludger. Ludger Küpper is our Managing Director and Head of the Financial Institutions, or FI, Practice Area for Central Europe, Scandinavia, Eastern Europe and Middle East at BCG Platinian. And before you start wondering, yes, he's basically Anikas and my boss boss. <laughs> in his over 23 years of experience in consulting, he has developed IT and digital strategies for regional and international financial institutions and led various IT transformation programs, including core banking modernizations. Being a true BCG Platinian veteran, he has also built countless IT architectures for neobanks and incumbent banks, making him a perfect fit for today's group. So welcome, Ludger. It's a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you. Hello, folks. Next in line is Boris Stoff, a BCG Platinian Associate Director based in Berlin. He brings more than 15 years of experience in global IT consulting in the financial institution space, And as part of IE Leadership Group, he's responsible for growing our FI business outside of Germany and Austria, so especially in the Middle East and Nordics region. Beside this, Boris is leading our fintech and neobanking initiative. So as Nora and I are co-members of this initiative, we even work closely together with him when we're not recording a podcast episode. Boris is also an expert on modern IT architecture. So if you consider building a neobank and want to make sure to base it on a future-ready tech platform, Boris is basically the go-to person here. Welcome, Boris. Great having you here today. Thanks both and excited to be on the show. Cool. And last but not least, there's also Jürgen Eckel. He's a partner and managing director for BCG Digital Ventures in Berlin. And he's also the head of digital ventures for the SEMA region and financial services globally. And with BCG Digital Ventures... He has already developed and built several fintech concepts across Europe, in retail, SME banking, and wealth management. And on two of them, basically, I had the pleasure to work with him myself. And let me tell you, I've never met anyone who knows the fintech and digital banking market as well as Jürgen. So therefore, I'm super excited having you here, Jürgen, in our expert panel today. Welcome. Thank you, Nora. Really excited and looking forward to what's going to happen today. Fantastic. And Jürgen, I was also told that you drive the BCG Digital Ventures Europe Thought Leadership on the Future of Banking. And well, luckily, this is one of our focus topics today. So I'm really keen to hear your perspective on this. However, our first topic for today is fintechs versus incumbents. And let's directly get started with it. Um, so Jürgen, in the past few years, we've seen a tremendous increase of fintechs and neobanks rising from the ground. And just to give you 
a bit of background. Out of 500 unicorns, um, for those of you who don't know the term, these are basically startups with a market valuation of more than a billion dollars. And out of 500 unicorns, there were 70 fintechs in 2020, compared to only 50, so 20 less the year before. So I would say we're really seeing uh, the banking industry to be a place where there's a lot of movement happening these days. Jürgen, in your opinion, what has caused this fintech boom? Well, first of all, I do believe what we're seeing right now is just the tip of the iceberg. I do think the rate of change, the rate of growth in that space is going to continue and actually going to continue to, to accelerate. Now, talking about enablers or causes of that, of that boom, technology definitely is a large driver. Banks have always also historically been at the forefront of driving technology, using technology. You know, one of banks have been among the first players to use computers. A lot of it is basically electronic. But what's happening now is customers are seeing a massive change in the way they interact with companies, they interact with services driven by the consumer-oriented tech players. That expectation is shifting over to financial services. There's no reason from a customer perspective on why I would interact with my bank any differently than Spotify, Amazon, or you know, my phone in my, my pocket. All good, it sounds. You know, it sounds like that everything's fine for banks. The big issue is incumbent banks have been very slow to react to those changes. And that white space has opened up for others, for new players to come in. Lutka and Boris are probably better to talk about incumbent banks. But you know, the way I look at this is banks have become so complicated, so large and complex over time that it's become really, really hard to keep up with that rate of change. And you see that with a lot of fintechs being very focused, very niche plays in a way, but solving those niche customer needs in a really strong uh, and, and good way. And that seems to get a lot of traction. Now, let me finish off with, if, if you look at the valuations, a lot of the valuations seem to be driven by low customer acquisition costs or a belief in fintechs being able to continue to attract more customers. It's a game of who has access, who can bring more customers on board. That's what's the real driver behind valuations. And as we see pan-European plays scale, as we see uh, plays scale across regions, even globally, you know, like the Stripes and PayPals, but increasingly also uh, Revolut, uh, etc., we will continue to see valuations rise. Yeah, especially looking at certain market values, it really appears that successful fintechs are now rapidly catching up with incumbent banks. Not only one or two examples we have, this is it's really a large number catching up here. So let's take, for example, Trade Republic, a mobile trading app from Germany. They've just recently raised $750 million in funding. So with this last financing round, they now valued more than $5 billion already. And when you compare this to incumbents like Commerzbank with, for instance, $10 billion, or even ING as a larger player with $55 billion, we can clearly see that fintechs are not that far behind anymore. So Boris, from your experience, what is it exactly that fintechs do significantly better? Why are incumbents not catching up yet? 
Yeah, first of all, I think there's no doubt about the current momentum, especially in the valuation rounds. So that's really impressive to see. Uh, although I would say the most recent numbers could be a little bit influenced by, a, I would call it post-COVID investment appetite, but nevertheless, fully agree with Jürgen, uh, we will see that path continuing. So coming to your questions, I think two essential things fintechs are doing better than incumbents. First of all, I think fintechs understand the customer need better than incumbents. And they do that by removing entry barriers. So look at Trade Republic. How easy is it to buy an ETF and now even crypto? Um, how easy are the onboarding processes, right? So they're really providing easy access to their products. Uh, they provide a simple and clean user experience. And some might say they're also cool to use. No? So they achieve that by continuously interacting with their customer, having really this innovation mindset, interacting with the customer, doing customer research and really reacting uh, to the customer needs. And that's the second point is actually they have a very much faster time to market. Um, how do they achieve that? By implementing an innovation culture where you really fail fast, iterate on the solution, uh, which is not the case in an incumbent bank, which is very much risk averse. And there are reasons for that. Um, but fintechs have been set up as tech shops. You know? So they like to uh, play with technology, they play with the use cases, um, and they're built on a flexible IT, which allows them to also plug and play their services with other partners, part of an ecosystem or creating an ecosystem uh, by themselves. Looking at the incumbents, and Jürgen mentioned already some of the points there, uh, I think the biggest hurdle or the biggest roadblock is the complex legacy technology. Change in incumbent banks is slow, is very expensive. There is a huge dependency on big system integrators, which are also slowly and very waterfally delivering their projects. Um, and banks even have a priority on stability and the performance, right? Maybe not so much on change. No? You can really see kind of the big conflict between development change and the operations department in big organizations. Um, and that brings me to the last point here is from an organizational perspective, they do not have kind of structured innovation culture where they apply design thinking principles to constantly question uh, the product, constantly looking at the customer needs and bringing technology into this innovation process. That is something we very often see that incumbents do not have that. We see also a trend that they start kind of digital factory plays, but these usually come at the side uh, and are not at the center of the of the core business of the incumbents. Not yet. Yeah, Boris, you're painting a, a really great picture, I would say, of the startups um, having this innovation culture, flexible tech. And you're saying incumbents don't have that. At that point, I would be really interested now looking towards Ludger. What is your opinion on this? Would you say incumbent banks are really that much behind? Are there maybe some hidden strengths of incumbent banks that we don't know or that we should make our listeners aware of? Yes, I think this is an exciting question, what we are raising here. And let me start with a quote from Bill Gates from 1994. Banking is necessary, banks are not. I mean, that might be a little bit the question we have today, right? Because we are now in a situation where 
technology can help to give clients much more information, much more convenience to have much more flexibility in doing their private business. And I think this is addressed by the fintechs, uh, what we see here, the neobanks. But we are talking in most cases only about retail banking, right? I think here the incumbent banks are really lagging behind because um, they stayed with the branches. They had also a lot of legacy in their technology stack and also additional, let's say, organizational, even political aspects which they had to address, which slowed down their, their innovation. They did not put innovation in the middle of their thinking. And also, to some extent, over the last years, all the innovation was eaten up by regulation. So that is also something which the incumbent banks had to address. They are now, from my point of view, accelerating And they might getting closer to the neobanks. I would not underestimate that. You can see the parallels in the automotive industry. Today, Volkswagen has a market capitalization of 100 billion, Tesla 600. We should have this discussion next year, how it will look like then. So that's maybe the same situation now with fintechs with very high valuations. This is often also something which reflects a certain hope also of the market participants about the future business model. I think we will see also some, some adaptations. On the other hand, also the neobanks will face challenges in the light of regulations. And we have seen that, right? So N26, they paid a high price on that. But um, I would assume on the retail business side, and then also if you look at what's rising at the crypto business Fintechs will have a clear advantage. Where I have doubts is on capital markets because they're lacking infrastructure and also business knowledge and also the wholesale banking and um, corporate banking. Here, the advantage is not in providing better experience. Here, we have to address financial supply chains, for example, which really gives advantages to corporate business, for example, and on the other hand, also reduce cost when it comes to capital markets. I don't currently see so many new market entries on that end. So what I would assume that the business model of the universal bank will not be something what could be extended in the future. I think there was also discussions a couple of years back in time. This will come to an end, I would assume. And we will see more specialized financial institutions. There will be a rise in the number of uh, market participants. And then, like always, the bubble will burst and you will see consolidation in the next years. And of course, the large incumbent banks will survive that, yeah, for sure. But I think we will see innovation driven by the fintechs and the incumbents can learn from them, for sure. And how would you rate the relevance of technology in this race? Do you see tech as a key differentiator in today's and also in the future of banking landscape? Yeah, if you, if you look at the introduction of new technologies in many markets, at the beginning, of course, it's a differentiator, but over time it will become commodity. So it will not be that differentiating anymore. Um, for the next five years, maybe, yes, they will have an advantage, but 
I would assume we see already that the past 10 years, I would say, they were characterized by regulations. If you look at the change investment portfolios of the, um, the IT investment portfolios of the large incumbent banks, um, more than 50% was invested in regulatory topics on the finance, on the risk side, etc. And this is now coming down because the infrastructure has become much better. We are offloading risk to for example, public cloud providers. That's something also where you can address better your, your regulatory topics. And so also those incumbent banks um, can address much better innovation. And we see a new ways of working. There's also change how they work. Technology is moving more and more. If you take, for example, ING to the front, I think also their self-understanding is changing. Also at Deutsche Bank, we see that, for example, that they're becoming a more agile organizations. Um, there's a change in the generation. So I think technology is becoming and has to become more and more to the forefront of banks. And over time, I mean, if you look at the cost structure of a bank, yeah, of a financial institutions, it is much more IT intense like other industries. So it must play a more important role also in the overall business model and the operating model. Yeah, we are indeed seeing that technology is a key factor for innovation in the financial services industry. I would say for fintechs, just as well as for incumbents. Um, maybe a quick story here. We had Peter Großkopf, the former CTO of Solaris Bank and Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange, as a guest in one of the previous episodes. And he, for example, also highlighted that technology platform needs to provide enough flexibility to innovate. And that, I would say, holds true for incumbents and fintechs. Yes. I think there's a huge mindset difference between a lot of incumbents and a lot of the newer fintech players. You know, within incumbents, I very often see technology siloed away into an IT organization. Whereas if you look at you know, all the successful fintechs and other tech players, technology is what drives that business. It's a core part of how you think about going to market, how you think about scaling, how you think about solving. I think that's an area to really think about or to really attack and tackle from an incumbent perspective. Getting IT out of the silos into a more pervasive fabric or baseline for your whole organization. I assume that's way easier if you start Greenfield, right? <laughs> very clearly, very clearly. But uh, to be a bit provocative, there's also very little that prevents incumbents from starting Greenfield initiatives for certain parts of their business, certain products, certain areas. You don't always have to take the whole legacy organization onto a modernization path to reach a goal. And I think that's exactly a point. I don't want to put too much water into the wine, but um, I think we can see advantages from both ends. Yeah, technology is driving and pushing a lot. On the other end, we see a lot of experience how the business works coming from the financial institutions, from the incumbent banks. Yeah, if we achieve it to bring it together, and I don't know whether we should bring the experience to the fintech and they learn quicker, Yeah, or technology to the incumbent banks, we will see, I think, both elements. And that will decide who will survive the race. Of course, larger organizations usually have an unfair advantage. 
but this will bring it to the next level. And frankly speaking, what I would assume is we saw it already since the finance crisis in 2008, 2009. Um, after that, we saw a lot of regulation. And I think also in the light of now the evolving crypto topic, we will also see a lot of change. I personally don't exactly know in which direction it will go, but it could be dependent also of a lot of e-government topics. So this is something also in the light of KYC fraud detection, anti-money laundering. This all could play a role, frankly speaking. And we know that the central banks are thinking about also introducing e-currencies. And this will also be a game changer for the financial institutions. So, and dependent on that, the operating models and also the business models um, could change in a very um, large way. So let's talk a bit about those changes and maybe directly move on to our second topic for today, um, which is the future of banking. So as you already mentioned, so compared to 10 years ago, the majority of people has moved to digital banking instead of branches. So the way we do banking nowadays has changed completely. Fintechs have driven this trend by offering even better and most importantly, simpler user experience. Um, for instance, even my sister at the beginning of her 20s is having her ETF portfolio just because Trade Republic is so easy to use and you can even start with having your 25 euro plan to save it every month. My, my brother just turned 18 and he directly opened his Trade Republic portfolio. <laughs> That's it, it really makes it accessible, right? So, Ludger... Where do you think will this lead the banking industry to maybe 10 years from now? Oh. Will the market consolidate? <laughs> I was afraid of getting this question. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's only 10 years. This is exactly uh, also my, my approach. Yeah, It's only 10 years. So why? Over my more than 20 years now of experience in professional life, but also in the last 16 years, I know... Financial institutions, banks here in Germany, they tried even over 10 years decommission only one system. <laughs> yeah. So this is not something very revolutionary. So, but we hope that the speed of change will accelerate and, and improve. I would really like to stop on the point of centralization just quickly because I think that's quite interesting question. Some will say, You could centralize it all and simplify it that way, or you just decentralize it, which, uh, for example, Peter Großkopf also said in one of the previous episodes. What's your opinion on this? Yeah, if I if I look at the future, especially you know a couple of years, five plus years out, I think there's a massive drive for scale. So in a way, I'm expecting less local, national, less regional plays, and more of a drive towards pan. European, international, global plays. Now, I think conceptually there's a difference between is it technically centralized or decentralized and is the model and the driver, the business model and the, the driver behind it more centralized. In those timeframes, and I'm sorry to bur probably burst bubbles or hurt people, I don't believe we'll be seeing a fully sort of di distributed ledger decentralized finance, DeFi future within the next five to 10 years. I just don't see this happening. I don't see a clear business model behind it. I don't see regulatory support behind it. 
I don't see a huge drive outside of very, very specific pockets uh, behind that. Now, if I take what Lutka just said in terms of his view in the, in the future and my view on scale being a huge driver, I do think we'll see more larger centralized players driving the financial service and the financial world. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be Apple and Google owning the world, right? There's ample place for other players either existing today or not even on the horizon yet to rise up. But I think the days of the regional savings bank or you know the small local national champion in retail and corporate banking is over. And capital markets has shown us a way where the, the future might be heading. So Jürgen, just imagining I wanted to build a fintech right now, What are trends that you see that are actually successful and that are a good market opportunity for me? Well, it's very, very simple. You just launch a new cryptocurrency and post it on Twitter or anything with NFT in the name of your fintech company. How about NoraCoin? That's <laughs> yes, uh, fantastic. Uh, you just need to get Elon to tweet about it uh, and then you're good to go. No, just kidding. I mean, crypto is a trend, uh, you know, something here to say, but we don't want to go down the decentralized route again. In terms of real trends, looking at the consumer retail side, in Europe and also in the US, there's a massive trend of trying to convert uh, savers, cash hoarders into investors in smart, sort of long-term wealth building plays. You, you've talked about Trade Republic before with their savings plan ETF plays. There's a lot of others who are starting in that uh, down that same route and looking at the amount of cash that people still hold across Europe there's still a massive opportunity i mean germany alone more than 70% of investable assets are cash which is you know i see everyone smiling here it's a reality but it's pretty horrible given inflation and given how much you lose out on you know interest rates and the power of compound interest there and how high fees with traditional players are. So that's a really nice opportunity. A second opportunity I personally find really, really interesting is the whole space of generating actionable insights from data. Now, there's a lot of talk about banks having access to fantastic data, you know, especially if you're you know, uh, holding a primary uh, transaction account, either for a corporate or a retail, uh, retail customer. Now, the reality is, there is still very little happening with that data. Uh, incumbent players, but also a lot of fintechs struggle with the specifics of extracting real actionable insights, combining a myriad of data sources to get to something you can actually use to provide better services to customers, to find new customers, to cross-sell, upsell. There's a really nice emerging space. Some players are in that, but they're very often in specific pockets around You know, mortgages is one space, you know, lending topics are emerging. But it's a, it's, a, it's a massive topic and it's a really nice and interesting specific play. So in a way, you know, build the Palantir for banking, you know, the spoils are going to be massive. And we get a bit back closer to banking. My personal pet topic is, I still think, and you've, you've talked a bit about Solaris Bank before, I still think there's a really, really large opportunity to build an at scale, pan-European or maybe even global white label API banking player. 
think about, you know, let's get rid of all of the expensive customer acquisition side. Let's get out of that rat race of trying to acquire more customers versus fintechs versus incumbents, et cetera, and concentrate on what makes you know, retail banking and small business banking really click, and that's scale. It's scale in your core platforms, core processes. So become the scale player and let all the other people feed your customers in the back which also helps with Lutger's uh, increasing regulatory issues because very likely you'll get more scale on that front as well. Fantastic. So I have my business model settled. <laughs> Thanks, Jürgen, for that. Now I need to... You, you can send me Nora coins. <laughs> <laughs> I will once I have uh, Elon on my phone. <laughs> so uh, now I have the business model settled. I need to build my fintech and... Uh, Therefore, we obviously need a technology platform. Exactly. So now maybe coming to Boris, you've led quite a few fintech architecture projects within BCG Platinum by now. Um, could you maybe elaborate a bit more on this based on your recent experience? So what constitutes a modern architecture? Does every bank need a data-centric and microservice-driven tech stack? Okay, then let's talk about what a modern IT architecture is. Um, I think this is another topic which could fill a complete episode, I guess. Yeah. But let's first start with the definition. What is actually my understanding of an IT architecture? So for me, this is kind of having guiding principles in place which help you to design and build your IT in a way that it supports your strategic goals best. That is for me an IT architecture. So it's a clear, it's clear and understandable guidelines for tech-related decision making. Um, and it should really focus on simplification or at least removing unnecessary complexity. So the big advantage for a neobank is, of course, that we have the opportunity to start greenfield. So this is not something incumbents can benefit of. Um, and building something from scratch is always easier than to have to deal with kind of an historically grown environment. Um, but you asked me, what does a good architecture look like? Classic consulting answer, I would say it depends. And it actually depends on what your strategic goals are. So we said earlier, there's ever-changing requirements. So somebody mentioned also flexibility as one of the utmost important things of an IT architecture. I would fully, fully agree with that because only if we have a flexible IT, we can actually change fast enough to kind of fulfill customer requirements constantly. What does flexible mean in terms of IT architecture? It means you use a modular architecture which consists of decoupled components. Mm, this is microservice-based. You also need to think about event-driven communication, which actually allows each component to talk to each other uh, in a very real-time or close-to-real-time way. And you need to build all of this on a cloud-based infrastructure, which allows you environment provisioning at no time. Well, so these are kind of the key drivers from my perspective for flexibility. Um, when it comes to core components of an architecture, they're actually two main things I would mention. One is the famous core banking system or, or CBS. The good thing is there are many options. The bad thing is there are many options, right? So vendors provide kind of front-to-back solutions which uh, are really tailored to specific markets and take away all the burden theoretically 
from uh, dealing with regulations. But you also have on the other side, you have like cloud-based basic frameworks which work on smart contract architecture. So there is a huge variety of different solutions. The trend we see, and this is true for neobanks, but also for incumbents, is to move towards a leaner core, huh, which is really focusing on stability and performance. Right. So you use standardized APIs to access the services, but the core is not really driving your innovation process. No? So, But it can be a huge roadblock if I have to change this super often. So as leaner the core, I would say the better the architecture. And the second thing I would like to mention, and Nora, you know this topic very well, uh, is data architecture, right? As I said earlier, data is for me kind of the key asset uh, of the bank, right? Banks know their clients, their customers better than anybody. But still, when you look at incumbent banks, you see siloed data marts, you see a lot of, or they face a lot of inconsistencies or not up-to-date uh, data warehouses. So there's a lot of things which are not going well uh, with incumbents. Therefore, what is important, if you build something, you really need to have kind of your data architecture as center piece of your IT architecture Topics like single source of truth, efficient data flows, uh, proactive and hopefully automated quality management needs to be in place. But also from an organizational perspective, you need to look at that. You need to have uh, an overarching data governance with clear ownership of data entities and also clear responsibilities. So the organization needs to understand the data assets. So, and that's for me kind of the key for a modern architecture. It's really a lean core and really, really emphasis on a highly, highly effective data architecture. This sounds very easy for greenfield banks, Boris, but maybe Ludger, you can deep dive into this. How can you achieve such an architecture when talking about incumbents? Well, yes, this is the question uh, we often hear now, modernizing the Core banking, but behind it's modernizing the tech stack at all. It often starts with the question, do I have to replace the core banking system because it's 20 or 30 years old? Or do I carve out components, keep a core, build a flexible data-driven digital platform in front, which could also serve Omni-channel CRM topics, topics which were in the past for financial institutions not with a high priority. It depends a little bit on the capabilities and uh, what's the nature of the organization, the financial institution. Do they have a strong IT? Do they want to invest into technology? Do they have time to uh, do that kind of transformation? It's high effort. The problem is that um, often a couple of, let's say, issues come together. It is the legacy, the technology. In the same time, it's the way how I maintain and how I operate that technology. Then we come to you know, ways of working. And then also within the operations, it comes to sourcing topics, whether I have it all on-premise in my data center so you start with a simple question, and that was a simple question, right? And out of a sudden, this is addressing the entire operating model of the bank. 
So and this is something what I think needs also some experience. And I think here also we come into supply and what we see most is that we try to split it up in different topics and components and then define target pictures, define plateaus to get an overall picture because this is important. Address also all that prerequisites you, you need on the organizational side. And with that, and also with the trust of the management board and executive level to do this kind of transformation, then you can start that journey. Now, at the end of the day, it might be the right way to, to introduce a new core banking system as a core or to develop um, a new platform and um, modernize the existing one. Thank you, Ludger. I would really love to see and also actively support those journeys to, to have more, also more traditional banks shifting towards a modern architecture and not just the greenfield fintechs, but incumbent banks here. So unfortunately, we are almost at the end of today's episode of the Fintech and Digital Banking Podcast. But before we come to that, let's have a final speed round here. So Please answer the following question in just one sentence, okay? If you were to bet all your money on one technology right now, what would it be? Let's start with Boris. Super unfair question, honestly. That was your sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> no, what I wanted to say is because usually I believe that the biggest innovations always came out not inventing a new technology. They literally came out of combining existing technologies in a smart way, but understand only one sentence. So I definitely would bet on distributed ledger technology and that will revolutionize the way we look at finance. Not now, but at some point. Jürgen, what is your bet? I have to agree with Boris. I would actually also put my money on DLT in the wider space. Since this is an investment question and the market is so hot and growing and hyped, that sounds like a smart choice for some play money. Ludger, what about you? Well, do I have an option? Um, it depends um, a little bit. Um, Say Cobol. Say also, Cobol. It depends. <laughs> That's what I was expecting. I was expecting. <laughs> okay. Uh, it depends a bit on what we define as a technology, right? I think what we will see also in the financial institutions in the future is the first, maybe larger move to public cloud. I think um, financial institutions will get rid of their data centers. This is for sure. And that's where I would bet all my money. DLT, 50-50, I would say. <laughs> Disclaimer, we are not giving any investment advice here. <laughs> Buy Nora coin. Yeah, exactly. Buy Nora coins. All right. Uh, thank, thanks a lot uh, for your insights here. Thanks a lot for joining us. It was great having you here in the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast. And yeah, hearing from your vast experiences across the BCG FinTech universe. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. This was fun. I think this was just a perfect summary of my learnings during the last years in our new banking and fintech projects. Yeah, I fully agree. Our listeners just got the perfect sneak peek into what working in the fintech area of BCG Platinian and Digital Ventures looks like. So did you enjoy this episode? 
We would love to hear your thoughts around today's topics. And if you want to make sure to not miss the next episode, don't forget to follow this channel. Stay tuned for more. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. BCG Platinian, your experts on IT strategy, modern technology architecture, and state-of-the-art banking. The digital future is now. For more information, check bcgplatinian.com.